1: and welcome to the Premium Brands Holdings Corporation 4th Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a mission-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. Our presenters to, on today's call will be George Palialogo, CEO and President of Premium Brands, and Will Kludich, CFO of Premium Brands. I would now like to hand the conference over to George Palliologo. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, Cheryl, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to our 2020 fourth quarter conference call. With me here today is our CFO, Will Kaludic. Our presentation today will follow the deck that was posted on our website this morning. Hopefully you all have had a chance to access it. For those of you that don't have it, you can access it by clicking on the link of our press release issued this morning. On slide 5, we're now on slide 5, which outlines certain key highlights. Will Taludic will walk you through our financial results shortly. In early 2021, we closed the acquisition of Clearwater Seafoods in a historic partnership with the Coalition of Mi'kmaq First Nations. I will be expanding on our seafood platform later on in the presentation. I will also be updating you on our progress at our sandwich and U.S. protein platforms. 2020 was a difficult year for all of us. COVID-19 challenged us in ways that were unimaginable just a year ago. But despite the challenges, we entered 2021 stronger, larger, and more resilient. We're very excited about where we're at, and we're very optimistic about our future prospects, as our various platforms reach or exceed the billion-dollar mark. I will now pass it to our CFO, Will Kaludic. We will update you on our financial results for the quarter and the year. Will?
3: Thanks George and good morning everyone. Before discussing our results for the quarter, I would like to caution you that to the extent we make forward-looking statements during our presentation, our forecasts and assumptions are subject to change and actual results may vary. Please see our 2020 and fourth quarter 2020 MDNA filings both of which be, can be found on the Cedar website www.cedar.com for details on some of the factors that could cause our actual results to differ from our current expectations. Turning to our results for the fourth quarter, please turn to slide 7 um, and just starting with a discussion on our revenue for the quarter. Uh, total sales for the quarter were $1.56 That was up about $97 or 10% from 2019, the fourth quarter of 2019. Um, Major drivers of our growth in the quarter were first off acquisitions, which contributed about $44.3 million to our growth. And then that was followed by the success in our protein group of our meat snack, dry cured and cooked meat strategies and in particularly the traction we're gaining in the U.S. with our our meat snack category initiatives in general and our meat sticks uh, initiatives specifically. Also our sandwich platform had a very good quarter showing growth on a a variety of, of new initiatives as well as with legacy customers. And then finally, our seafood and distribution groups also had solid performances as they leveraged recent investments in capacity, new capacity, namely our new Saco lobster processing facility and our new distribution facilities in Toronto and Quebec. On the negative side of things, COVID continued to have a a major impact on our business. We estimated to be about $53 million for the quarter. That consisted of about $71 million of lost food service, airline, and cruise line business, partially offset by stronger-than-normal retail sales of about $19 million. Um, Our organic growth for the quarter was 5.2%. This was within our long-term targeted range of 4% to 6%. But below our original expectations for the year uh, due solely to the challenges of COVID. Uh, we've in, in the presentation, we've shown some normalization for COVID. We estimate the the COVID uh, normalized sales for us would have been about $1.1 billion, representing a 15.6% increase. And uh, our, in, in terms of organic growth, a normalized run rate of about 10% which would have been in line with our expectations at the beginning of the year. Turning to slide 8, looking at uh, revenue for the year, our sales came in at 4 billion 68 million that was up from 2019 by roughly 420 million or 11.5%. Uh, despite the challenges of COVID, our, our sales for the year actually came within the original guidance we gave back in, in uh, March 2020 uh, of roughly the four, $3.975 billion to $4.75 billion. Um, if you exclude new acquisitions that we completed in the quarter or post our, our announcement of our guidance last year, that would have given us sales of just a little over four billion, so still within our original guidance range. So, so we're very happy with that, considering the challenges that many of our businesses faced with COVID. You know, normalizing for COVID for the year, uh, we have sales of about 4.3 billion. Uh, COVID impact of a little over 200 million, and that would have given us total sales growth for the year of about 11. 11- Organic sales growth of the, for the year of about 11.6%, or in total growth of 17.3%. Uh, in, interestingly, the most heavily impacted quarter was the second quarter uh, due to COVID. Uh, the, the impact there was about 132 million on our sales. And if you turn to slide nine, um, you can—you know—this slide shows you the normalization of our growth rates by quarter. The solid line is our actual growth rates and these are all organic volume growth rates and the, the dotted line is our normalized growth rates. You can see the dramatic impact in the second quarter. By the third quarter our, our growth rates were getting an, almost in line to the normalized level with you know food service, cruise line, airlines being the continuing impacts. And then in the fourth quarter, with some of the lockdowns, you can see that that, that spread widened a little bit because of the impact on our food service businesses, but still uh, nowhere near the impact that we saw in the second quarter. So overall, you can see the dotted line really was a continuation of the trends that we went into 2020 with prior to COVID impacting our business. With a lot of that growth being driven by a number of recent both organic and acquisition investments, Um, the new plants I mentioned earlier in our distribution and seafood groups, our new sandwich plant in Phoenix, as well as uh, several strategic acquisitions such as Alberto's in the meat snack category, Ready Seafoods in the lobster category, and Concord Meats in the cooked protein category. Uh, Turning to slide 10 discussing our EBITDA performance. So for the quarter, we came in at 87.7 million in EBITDA. That was up 12.6 million for 2019 fourth quarter or roughly a 17% increase. Uh, there are eight major drivers in the improvement in our our EBITDA. Five of them positive, three of them negative. On the positive side of the the ledger, you know, organic sales growth was by far the biggest driver of our improved EBITDA. After that, we had some really solid efficiency gains in our protein group, um, roughly five to six million dollars, driven by automation and continuous improvement. We saw a little bit of commodity benefit in the quarter, uh, largely due to some favorable dynamics around seafood where uh, there was some demand destruction in the category that in the food service segment that uh, created some favorable commodity prices that our businesses were able to leverage when they took those products into the retail channel. Um, Acquisitions was a bit of a driver of the EBITDA growth as well. And then finally, COVID-related costs was actually a positive in the quarter, unlike the last two quarters, where we continued to see a negative impact on our margins, gross margins, as a result of thank you bonuses, additional PPE, and production inefficiencies. But that was more than offset by marketing cost savings and travel tra- and reduced travel costs. So overall. The COVID cost impact was a, a favourable $3 million for the quarter, or $2.9 million for the quarter. Uh, the negative impacts on our EBITDA for the quarter, uh, the largest was by far additional infrastructure spending both in plant overhead and in sg overhead. Uh, that was about 8 to $9 million in the quarter. A significant portion of that being investments being made for the future of our business for our future growth initiatives, so um you know there's some sales deleveraging benefit to be had there, and then wage inflation was another factor in the quarter. it was about a five million dollar impact on the quarter. We do expect that number to start falling in twenty twenty one as we're starting to lapse some of the wage inflation, wage increases we put through towards the beginning of 2020. And then finally, discretionary compensation was up for the quarter as well. So overall, a very solid quarter, even before normalizing for for COVID. Once we normalize for the COVID impact in the quarter, which we estimate the sales impact to be about 10.6 million negative, offset by the 2.9 positive in cost benefits that I I mentioned earlier. That would give us a normalized EBITDA for the quarter of about $20 representing a 27% increase from last year. Uh, Turning to slide 8, talking about our EBITDA for the year. For the year, we came in at $312.6 million in EBITDA, uh, about a $5 million increase from 2019, or about 1.6%. Uh, that was below our guidance um, for the year, which had a fairly wide range because of the unknown impacts of, of ASF. About th- of ASF, and the range was about 320 million to 360 million. So uh, slightly below that, the bottom end of that range, but certainly uh, once you normalize for COVID. And in fact, if you just normalize for the impacts of COVID on the second quarter of the year which was about 50 million dollars um, our our normalized ebda would have been about uh, 340 million. 340 sorry i got that wrong the normalization but the normalized ebda is about 340 million dollars for just q2 so uh, with that, you see we're nicely in the targeted range of our original guidance, despite COVID having a major impact on our businesses for the third and fourth quarter of the year. So, you know, again, a good solid year driven by a lot of organic growth and with the one major negative being the impact of COVID. Uh, turning to slide 12, our adjusted earnings for the quarter. Uh, Increased nicely, $36.4 million for the quarter, up $6.1 million, so 20% from 2019. The major driver of that was our EBITDA growth, and that was offset by some increased depreciation, taxes, and uh, roughly for the year, about $10 million in COVID-related costs to additional PPP inefficiencies in plants, thank you bonuses and a a variety of other similar costs partially offset by reduced marketing and traveling costs. On an EPS perspective, we came in at 86 cents for the quarter versus 79 cents last year, so a nice increase there as well. And similarly, normalizing for COVID, we would have been close to about a dollar per share for the quarter. Uh, Turning to slide 13, uh, our adjusted earnings trend for the year we came in at 122.7 million dollars, roughly flat over 2019. Um, You know, uh, again, the major impact there being COVID, and particularly in the second quarter of the year. Uh, Normalizing for COVID, our sales for the our EPS for our earnings, sorry, for the quarter would have been about 165 million. Uh, representing a $42 million increase, or roughly 34% increase, on an EPS basis, our EPS for the quarter came in at three dollars. Or sorry, for the year came in at three dollars and six cents. That was up, uh, sorry, down about 25 cents from 2019, or about 7.6%. Uh, again, COVID being the major factor, and particularly the second quarter of the year, the um, and then, in addition to that, we did raise a significant amount of equity in 2020 that did create some dilution as a lot of that capital had yet to be put to work by the end of the year. And we'll talk more about that when we look at the balance sheet and some of our capital allocation decisions. Um, turning to slide 14 capital allocation. During the quarter, we invested about $75 million. In acquisitions and Project CapEx. Uh, the one acquisition completed in the quarter was All Seas Seafood, which was about $61 million, and then a range of capital projects, major pack capital projects. Uh, you know, our Pillars Branford meat snack capacity expansion, dry cured meats expansion is going very well, a million spent on that in the quarter. Our harvest meat snack capacity expansion, which was completed in the quarter, we spent a half a million on. Uh, we launched our Montreal cook- new cooking line in Montreal for Concord, that's proceeding well and is on track, but in early days. And then our sandwich group completed both their new panino line as well as a second generation automated sandwich line in the quarter. Uh, Those are completed on track and are are running exceptionally well. George will talk a bit more about them in a bit. and Then finally our most recently announced uh, um, expansion of our Stivers Artisan Breakery uh, which is proceeding well on plan but in early days still. Subsequent to the quarter we've allocated about $555 million of capital. Uh, The vast majority of that being to acquisitions, the three acquisitions we show there is Clearwater, which uh, was most of that capital, roughly $450 million, and then the acquisition of Distribution Côte Nord, which is a uh, food service distribution business in Quebec, which uh, fit very nicely with our V-Index business. And then we also acquired Starboard Seafood, which is an Ontario and Quebec seafood seafood distribution business. Uh, we also announced three larger capex projects. One was the recent or the expansion of our Hempler's uh, premium processed meats meat snack facility in Ferndale, Washington. That's about a $26 million U.S. dollar project. The expansion of our Borders smokehouse capacity to help support their meat stick growth initiative. That was about a five million US dollar project. And then finally our sandwich group is is adding two additional automated lines, third generation automated lines, which are an improvement from the second generation we just implemented. Uh, similar efficiencies but more flexibility built into the line, and that's about a twenty-three million dollar project. So lots of good stuff in the pipeline, Uh, as most of you who are familiar with our company, our expected internal rate of returns on all of these investments is either 15% or greater. So these should be significant contributors to our earnings and cash flow in in future quarters. Turning to slide 15, our return on net assets. just sort of walking through the line, the green line is our free cash flow, the red line our five-year average RONA and the gold line our actual RONA by year. Then we show a couple of barge- uh, targets. The blue line is our 15% target RONA and the black line is our weighted average cost capital of about 11%. So for 2020 our RONA was 10.2%. So You know, below our target and slightly below our our weighted average cost of capital. Uh, You know, uh, three main factors contributed to this by far, you know, COVID, the impacts of COVID, and of recent capital expenditures that are works in progress. And, you know, I'll come back to those and, and normalize for those on a later slide. And then also, you know, over the last two to three years, we've made some significant investments in both acquisitions and capital projects those projects and initiatives are just you know 2020 was a key year they showed tremendous traction they're just gaining track traction and you know we expect as they their longer term business plans play out that we will not get back only get back to that 15% target but will exceed that 15% target uh, turning over to slide 16 is just the normalization I referred to earlier. So, you know, our actual Rona for 2020 was about 10.2%. Uh, we show on this slide the COVID impact of about $50 million and the capital projects under construction, which was about $15 million. Normalizing for that, our RONA for the year would have been 12.4%, which was which is above our weighted average cost of capital um, but still below our, our, our 15% target. On a five-year rolling average, uh, we normalize it would be at about 14.1%, so not far off from our long-term target. Turning to slide 17, uh, talking about liquidity, our balance sheet you know we finished the year in an incredibly strong position you know we had um, almost 900 million dollars of excess credit capacity at the end of the year a, and that compares to about 700 million at the end of the third quarter that was driven by an equity issuance we completed during the quarter and our our total debt to EBITDA ratio was 2.2 to 1 down from 3.0 to 1 at the end of the third quarter and our senior debt TBDA ratio, which is the critical metric that we use in, in managing our, our balance sheet, was down to 0.6 to 1 from 1.4 to 1 at the end of Q3. Now, normalizing for those capital allocations that I outlined on an earlier s- our slide, which um, you know, roughly the $600 million of uh, uh, announced acquisitions and, and projects that are actually hitting the ground right now. Our senior debt to EBITDA ratio would be about 1.9 which is still well below our targeted long-term range of 2.5 to 3 to 1 and our total debt to EBITDA ratio would be about 3.2 to 1 again well below our long-term targeted range of 4 to 4.5 to 1 to slide 18 uh, free cash flow our total free cash flow for the year was uh, a record hundred and eighty eight point eight million you know we paid out a record number declared a record number of dividends roughly 92 million that resulted in a payout ratio of just a little under forty nine percent forty eight point seven percent our free cash flow per share for the year came in at four point $4.87. That was down about 2% from 2019. And again, driven primarily by COVID, but also um we we did raise a significant amount of equity during the year which hadn't gotten put to use until 2021. Uh so that also impacted our our free cash flow per share. Um, And then the final comment I want to make, we did uh, announce with our fourth quarter results a 10% increase in our dividend, bringing the annual dividend rate to $2.54 per share. With that, I will pass the presentation back to George.
2: Thank you, Will. We're now on page on slide 20. As you can see, our seafood platform has grown a lot over the past 10 years. Both organically and by acquisition our run rate including our share of Clearwater sales is about 1.2 to 1.4 billion. This positions us as a top 20 seafood company globally and the only vertically integrated player in North America. Slide 21 demonstrates our vertical integration across the board with unparalleled, unparalleled access to some of the best wild seafood species in the world. We're uniquely positioned to bring seafood solutions to our customers by leveraging our ocean to plate, to plate capabilities. Slide 22. In addition to Clearwater, as Will said, we were pleased to recently welcome the All Seas and Starboard teams to our ecosystem. We're ready to disrupt and innovate the seafood space in North America by leveraging our access to best-in-class products, combined with our expertise in packaging and branding. On slide 22, we provide you with some examples of value-added seafood products like our salmon and tuna skewers to be launched this year, which leverage our proprietary skewering technology. Slide 23 outlines our various priority initiatives as we begin to work closer with Clearwater and its management team. The pictures show examples of value-added products that will make it easier for consumers to enjoy these healthy and great tasting proteins. The seafood chowder soup in the middle is made by our company Global Gourmet using clams purchased from Clearwater, while the lobster grilled sandwich, lobster grilled cheese sandwich shown on this slide will be assembled by our sandwich group. We believe that all three products shown here in this slide will not only be popular in North America, but also in Europe and Asia. The case for seafood consumption in North America is very compelling. Demographics and health and wellness are already driving exciting sales growth in this category. For example, in 2020, sales of frozen seafood in retail in North America were up 71% and 59% of consumers that eat seafood twice a week said that they do so because they're trying to eat healthier and to boost their immune systems. I should also note that seafood consumption per capita in North America trails those of other developed countries. For example, the average North American eats 16 pounds per year as compared to 25 in France, 36 in Norway, and 39 in South Korea. We believe strongly that this gap will narrow over the next few years, and we also believe that the pandemic has has accelerated this trend. Our innovation and value-add efforts plan to focus on making it easier for consumers to enjoy seafood. Our branding and innovation efforts will focus on seafood nutrition, meal ideas, transparency, and sustainability, while emphasizing our unique ocean-to-plate capabilities. We're now on slide 24. Our US protein platform made tremendous progress in 2020 and is well positioned for growth in the future. Slide 25. We made great progress in diversifying our sales in categories other than jerky. Our meat stick sales in the US grew by 45% in 2020 to 52 million US. For 2021, we're budgeting sales of meat sticks in the U.S. to exceed 100 million U.S., driven by innovation and new launches focusing on younger Hispanic consumers under the well-known Takis brand, which is under license. We also launched several authentic Germanic stick products under the newly acquired and iconic Bavarian meat brand. The very popular and best-in-class Bavarian meat Landjäger has potential to be rolled out nationally in the future. As the pictures show on slide 25, we're also excited to continue to launch Italian-themed charcuterie trays and cooked chicken skewers in snack format, leveraging our best-in-class proprietary skewering technology. Slide 26. Our sandwich platform finished with another year of record sales, despite severe demand destruction in QSR during the second quarter of 2020. As you can see on slide 27, the sandwich division assembles much more than sandwiches. More specifically, we're pleased to see that our investments in charcuterie and panino assembly are starting to gain traction in all channels. We also invested in capacity to produce single-serve meals at our Burnsville facility in Minnesota. During 2020, we launched a number of plant-based breakfast sandwiches with a number of USR customers. Sales of these products are projected to reach 100 million in 2021. As Will mentioned earlier, we are investing in two generation three assembly lines that will combine automation with operational flexibility. The new lines will be in operation in Q4-21. This platform finished the year very strongly, delivering record sales for the year, despite COVID-related demand destruction in Q2-2020. Slide 28, as you can see, our acquisition pipeline remains active and robust. We expect to continue to bring more companies under the PP umbrella in the future, as we execute our various growth and value creation strategies. Slide 29, we're very proud of our progress over the past year in this very relevant and important area. As the slide shows at Premium Brands, we're committed to all stakeholders and not just our shareholders. We also recognize that being good to all stakeholders is not just about managing risks, but it is also good for our business. We're committed to our ESG action plan and roadmap, and we look forward to reporting and updating you on our progress in the near future. Back to Cheryl for the Q&A segment of the presentation. Cheryl.
1: Thank you. And if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star one on your telephone handset. Our first question comes from George Choumet. Please go ahead, your line is
0: open.
4: yeah, good morning, guys, and congrats on a solid quarter. Um, I know it's early days, um, but I just want you to talk on how the integration is going at Clearwater. Uh, Maybe share with us the low-hanging synergies. Maybe quantify some of the more ambitious, longer-term ones that you guys plan on capturing.
2: Yeah, George, you know, first of all, there's there's no such thing as integration, right? Right? This is not a situation where, um, we are going to integrate um, uh, Clearwater. Clearwater is a great company, it is very well-run and it is uh, world-class in harvesting and processing at sea, resulting in exceptional quality products. Um, on slide 23 of the presentation, I outlined the four areas that we're working with them in terms of, as you say, low-hanging fruit. First of all, of course, is to leverage the PB distribution business, particularly in Canada. This will enable us to create programs, branding and take advantage of uh, the ocean to plate uh, uh, opportunities that we will able uh, and and solutions we will able to give to our customers. Secondly, um, we are working to develop uh, uh, branding and packaging formats, uh, as I mentioned earlier to make it easier for consumers to uh, enjoy these amazing uh, proteins. Uh, thirdly, um, we have a focus on value-added. I gave you three examples um, uh, of value-added products that, that, uh, that we are um, either uh, marketing currently, developing, uh, or doing the R&D on. And again, we're, we're getting good traction on all of them. And thirdly, um, operational synergies, um, you know, particularly in in lobster. You know, we have a a very, very large business in lobster uh, based in the U.S. And obviously we're working with Clearwater to find ways to optimize our supply chain, to optimize the various opportunities that we see uh, in the lobster space. Again, this is not an integration play for us. Uh, Clearwater is an exceptional company. They do what they do very, very well. And you know, again, by combining clear water and um the premium brand seafood assets, you've got uh a, 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 you know, the the only vertically integrated company uh in this space in North America. And we're, we're excited uh, with that.
4: Yeah, thanks for that, George. And maybe just staying on the topic of, of, of seafood. Um I did find it interesting that um on slide the eight you guys have put like advanced discussions with a pretty sizable um company. So maybe can you maybe talk about certain areas within the seafood complex that you, you feel like you'd like to to fill in, or or expand in, or maybe have a presence in?
2: Yeah, our, our perspective, George, is we we look at uh, the seafood space generally by on a species by species basis, and ultimately we want to be in a position where we have significant market share um, in each area uh, that we're in, in each species we're in. That you know, effectively being vertically integrated. Uh, being able to develop uh, uh, value-added uh, branded products uh, with, in conjunction with Clearwater, of course, and our and our partners, uh, the my First Nations, and um, and you know a, a good example of that is is um, is lobster, of course, and and lobster. Uh, now we're by far the biggest player in North America. I think we probably have thirty thirty-five percent market share in that in that space, and 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 so we have a a similar vision with regards to some other species as
4: well. Okay, thanks. Um, I understand that you guys don't want to give any guidance for 21 because of all the uncertainty around the pandemic, but it seems that there's a lot of CapEx initiatives here um, that we're undertaking. So I'm just wondering, is it fair to assume that maybe the organic growth for this year would be anywhere between kind of our historical 4 to 6% range and, and this year's 11% ex-COVID?
3: Yeah. So, George, again, a lot of that CapEx that we announced, that won't start benefiting us until 2022, 2023. Uh, In in terms of this year, you know, we've got two major headwinds going into the year. One is COVID, the continuing impacts of COVID. Clearly it'll be a, a challenge in the year first quarter, which last year in the first quarter, COVID was actually a positive impact on our sales. Um, and then we also have for the translation of our u.s operations. You know our, our u.s operations are growing quite significantly um, and and you know last year we had an exchange rate of about one thirty four to one thirty five. You know this year we're probably looking at you know one twenty seven, one twenty eight. Um, so so it, it, where those factors that play out or are going to be the big determinators. You know, outside of them, if, if it had been a, a normal situation, yeah, we we would have expected sort of similar growth rates that we expected for for twenty twenty. Um, you know, sort of in that uh, high single digit, low double digit range. But it's it's just the uncertainty around those two factors, and particularly on our food service and the exchange, that you know we're not at this point giving any specific guidance.
1: Okay, those are my
4: questions. Thanks.
2: Thank you, George.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Martin Landry. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
5: Hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, a follow up on on the Clearwater um, acquisition synergies. Um, uh, you know, it was helpful for you, for us to for you to walk through um, some of the initiatives. Um, you know, I'd like to get you know maybe a bit more uh, details on the timing of of the realization of these synergies. Um, you know, is is this uh, the majority of these synergies? Are are, are they to be realized near term, or are they more longer term in nature?
2: I think that the the four are, I mentioned, uh, Martin, are are basically. Um, uh, part of our long-term plan, and, and really, um, as I mentioned earlier, the businesses are very complementary. Um, uh, they don't overlap each other; they're they're very complementary. Uh, Clearwater wa- was uh, basically a best-in-class a harvester of of amazing wild uh, uh, shellfish species and uh, pro- a processor at sea, and then a seller of these products. In container loads around the world, and we're more on the distribution and the value-added side. And uh, again, we're, we're excited to have access to to supply. Of course, um, you know, in globally there is more demand for wild seafood than supply, and so access to supply is very, very important in the process of developing you know value-added products, which I gave you some examples today. So, so again, this is a long-term plan, uh, you know, the, the, we're really excited, uh, we're having excellent uh, discussions with the Clearwater management team. I hosted our first uh, seafood summit, it was a two-day event, and uh, we've identified a number of areas to work together to leverage the vertical integration that we have to uh, provide uh, best-in-class uh, seafood products to customers and consumers. That's all we could say at this point uh martin
5: okay, okay that's helpful um you know last earnings call you talked about you know labor shortage being um you know a challenge and that uh you know it prevented uh you from capturing some 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 sales opportunities uh you know wondering how that's evolved uh, and 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 if it had any impact on q four uh, sales.
2: yeah um yeah similar trends uh, martin as as in the third uh, quarter, i would say that as um in the u s they've rolled out uh, vaccinations um you know the situation with labor has become a little bit easier f- for us i mean we're we're eagerly uh, waiting for vaccinations in canada as well, and uh again uh um, we're doing better in the U.S., um, at, you know, across the board um, with regards to to managing uh, our labor challenges. Uh, it's part of the reason why the uh, the U.S. part of our business had a pretty good quarter in the fourth quarter. Not as good in Canada, but as I said, we're we're anxious to get uh, the vaccinations and uh, get on with things.
3: And yeah, the, the only thing I'd add to that, Martin, is the fourth quarter is a slower quarter for us seasonally so you're not pushing the production facilities as hard you're you you know the the volumes are much smaller so you know that there's a natural sort of easing off on our labor requirements because of that so that also helped to address the issue
5: okay okay and my last question was on um you know wondering if you can talk about your your innovation pipeline um you know we we like numbers so <laughs> I don't know if you can discuss, you know, the number of new SKUs that um, you expect to launch this year across all your platforms, and then and, and then how that would compare with, with previous years.
2: Again, all I could say, Martin, is that uh, innovation is part of the PB DNA. Uh, this is something that it is ingrained in our uh, in our various meetings with our different uh, teams. As you know, we're a very diversified company, and uh, we. Um, expect all of our companies to be driving uh, innovation. Uh, Innovation is what keeps us obviously uh, ahead of the game and and is what's given us traction and all I could say is that we've got an exciting pipeline of an an amazing, exciting uh, pipeline of of, uh, innovative products and I look forward to updating your notes. I I did mention some uh, on our call today and I will do so obviously on future uh, conference calls and
3: okay. it, it should you know 2020 was a year where you know one of the impacts of COVID was an inability to do a lot of new product innovations a lot of retailers just put things on hold stuck to sort of core legacy listings so the, so that there, there's a backlog of opportunities in our pipeline right now and and you know that that whole process is just starting to get somewhat normalized. So, yeah, like George says, it's a very full pipeline right now of things that will be coming out in 2021. Okay, that's good to hear.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. And our next question comes from David Newman. Your line is open.
6: Morning, George and Will. Congrats on the queue and uh, excellent traction. You, I guess David. my first question would be you know, the pandemic's weighed, but you've been very nimble uh, and you, you were able to win new business. And I guess maybe just talk about the magnitude of that and how much you expect to stick around. And, you know, and, and let's say we have a second and a half recovery, what the delta might be just related to that. Like, how much do you think you can carry forward? Uh, maybe some examples, too.
3: Well, so, you know, you're talking about in the retail channel, then? David, yeah, like is, I mean, you,
6: you've, yeah. did, you've done a lot, right? You, you have the school programs and things like that nature. Like, how much of this, how much of this incremental business, abys- new business that you won because of COVID, might actually stick around?
3: Um, you know, we have, You know, I talked a little bit earlier on George's question in terms of our growth outlook. You know, we've been very conservative in that number in the sense that you know, when we talk about the COVID impact on our business, we do sort of net a lot of the retail growth off that we see as unusual. Mm. So so all those numbers are kind of the, the, the core long-term strategies we've been pursuing, investing in. You know, to the extent that we are able to retain um, some of this new business that is is kind of been been a result of gaining traction in certain areas from COVID. That that's upside. That that would be you know we're not counting on it. We're hopeful that we can continue to keep it. Uh, it certainly created new opportunities. But you know that that would be even you know greater numbers than what I, I mentioned earlier.
6: Okay. And then the second one, just you know margins look good in the quarter, posted or and normalized. If you take into consideration, so the raw materials a little bit more benign, labor. It sounds like things are easing off, and you're automating a few things. Your fixed capital and just the scale. Um, and you know, you've set a target of like 2023 20, of 10%. Is there kind of a roadmap forward uh, in terms of what you anticipate the progression will be toward that target?
3: Yeah, sales deleveraging is a significant po- component of that expansion. <laughs> You know, so this year, if you normalize for for the impact of COVID, we would have been at about 9.1%. So not far off. Um, And you know, roughly to get to that 10%, it's probably two thirds uh, sales deleveraging and a third other factors.
6: Okay, good. And then for 21, you're calling for a better year, but if you strip out just M&A. What uh, what areas are you really starting to see come together uh, overall? I mean, it's just, it looks like you've invested for a number of years. If I look back in premium brands history, there's been a year where there's gestation period where you invest, you invest, uh, you develop new programs, and then you kind of hit your stride, and it goes. And it seems to me like you're kind of in that zone again where you've invested a lot, um, and then you're sort of hitting your stride. It's made to sort of talk about other than M&A, where are you seeing, you're kind of hitting, you know, critical mass?
3: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you know the sandwich group is the best example, right? We built the Phoenix facility back at the end of 2017, early 2018. And it's taken some time to gain traction there. But that group is just, Hitting it out of the park now, and you know, you saw it in the fourth quarter. Uh, the sandwich group was a major contributor to our growth, so that, that that's a great example where it's taken some time to gain traction as they've entered new channels like retail, uh, c Store, and that traction is just gaining hold. You know, the, the unfortunate part is in in that group, it is hidden a bit by their loss of the airline business. The airline was a, a nice piece of profitable. Um, uh, substantial business for the group but uh, you know that, that's one example another which is our GTA initiative we you know we built in 2018 2019 we built that new hundred thousand square foot distribution facility to expand our strategy around the food service expanding our seafood distribution into other proteins using the model we used in Western Canada you know that has continued to make good progress despite you know, its core food service business being so so hard hit. So once we start seeing the food service element coming back, you know, you're really going to see the traction of, of that investment. You know, another one is our investment in the C&C facility, the, our friend and seafood business in Quebec. Uh, again, you know, it, it despite the impact on its core food service business, it is you know started to gain amazing traction in the retail channel. Leveraging that new capacity, and then once the food service business comes online, you're going to see that traction accelerate. And then, and then finally, the last one I would point out is the Saco facility for the Ready Seafood Group. Um, you know that that's been a, a tremendous win this past year, and that again is despite COVID. Cruise line business has historically been a big customer of their their processed products and you know that effect entirely evaporated in 2020. So lots of things that that were growth drivers in 2020 despite covid and as that that veil comes off that, that that hindrance comes off, you should see that continue to accelerate in 2021. You know, you're absolutely right in your comment David about, you know, we've made those investments we're leveraging now to get the benefits, the returns, the cash flow, all that stuff going. Twenty twenty was the year we expected that to happen. Obviously for reasons we all know it didn't. You know, and now twenty twenty one is in, in our gun site, but we'll we'll see how it flows with hey, COVID.
2: Again, great great question, David. And I, I would add to that. Um that um, another example would be uh, our U.S.-based uh, protein uh, platform. You know, uh, uh, the acquisition of Albertas was transformational to that platform. It was mainly a, a beef jerky company, a national beef jerky brand, and today they're a lot more than that. And I, I gave you some numbers in terms of our growth in, 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 you know, the the stick area and uh, charcuterie and others and you know again they they've, they've uh, there's been a lot of innovation taking place uh, there uh we found them uh, many many capacity solutions um some uh tuck-in acquisitions again they're they're evolving very nicely now and they're growing uh they're accelerating their growth right so again the, the thing about premium brands is that you know we are we think about the long term uh, we don't buy a business to sell it you know three years from when we buy it, that's not our style. We buy and we invest in it, and um, you know, sometimes it takes three to five years for for us to get to critical mass and to get the uh, the returns that that uh, we, you know we're expecting. But um, you know, there's many, many areas. Distribution is another one, David. Um, again, we've we've invested in in being the number one coast-to-coast protein distributor in, in Canada, and, and that takes time and effort, and we build facilities to do that, and, you know, we're, we're just about there now. So that's another area where we expect to see progress, particularly when uh, food service
6: uh, uh, come, comes back. Perfect. Great run-through. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks, David.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from John Semparo. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
7: Thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, I I wanted to start with the the plant-based space. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, you were maybe a bit more cautious on this in the past, but it it sounds like your thinking has evolved on this subject. Um, Just would like to get a sense of where you see this going for PBH over the next couple of years, either on on M&A or organic investments. And uh, on on one uh, observation from the presentation, that that hundred million dollars you cited uh, in plant based sales, does that include your largest customer, or would that be an incremental opportunity to that?
2: No, that that includes all of our customers. John.
7: Okay, understood. And, and broadly, uh, is this an area you'd like to invest in more, or do you feel you have sufficient assets in place to, to address the plant-based category?
2: You know, again, John. I, ultimately, um, we uh, allocate capital and we make investments in, in in areas where we think we can generate the return for our shareholders. And and you know, we understand that the plant protein space will grow. Uh, it is a trend. Uh, and and, and it, it seems to be growing. Um, there seems to be a lot of players um, and a lot of capital entering this space, so we made a conscious decision not to invest in capacity to make these products. Um, we believe that was the right thing to do, given the amount of capital that's chasing this this uh, this category. Uh, having said that that's not to say that, we don't leverage our, uh, our expertise in certain areas and take advantage of uh, selling and uh, marketing opportunities. And that's what we're doing, right? Um, I think if you sort of looked at the evolution of premium brands, we tend to be very cautious with our capital. Um, once we develop um, uh, this segment, and let's say we develop it to two to three hundred million, that's not to say that we won't be, feel comfortable to go buy somebody. Uh, that gives us capacity. So that, that's the way we view the segment at this time, John.
7: Okay, that's very helpful, thanks. Uh, and then a few housekeeping questions. Um, starting with Clearwater, I know you're booking the interest uh, for the subordinated debt this year, but there's the one-year interest holiday on on a payment basis. Does that mean uh, does that mean interest is accrued and paid one year later every year, or do you essentially receive two years worth of
3: payments? Uh, in twenty twenty two. Just wondering what the difference is on accounting versus cash basis for that. Yeah, it's the it's the latter, John. It it's not a holiday in the sense of forgiveness. The interest is payable. We're just deferring it in the first year um, and then it becomes due in the second year. So you're right. In the second year we'll get two interest payments. Although I again I think we've talked about this in the past. You know, we are a patient long-term shareholder in Clearwater and And it will depend on their ability and uses and needs of capital on, you know, how we will draw that interest payment out. But ultimately, it is due in the year two.
7: Okay, that's great. Thanks. Uh, And then what's the obligation of the Mi'kmaq First Nations Group when it comes to purchasing the state of your 450 million of, of subordinated debt? Um, I get there's some variability depending on what the free cash flow is at the Clearwater level, but is there a minimum amount they have to repurchase from you, either from their licensing payments or their management fee every year?
3: Yeah, essentially the cash flow they're receiving from the structure of our transaction and and the license fee associated with our our transaction, the excess cash flow from that, they are obligated and they want to participate in the sub-debt or buy the sub-debt.
7: Got it, okay, thanks. Uh, and then last one for me, uh, did you see any imp- impact from ASF and Q4 and is there any uh, any anticipated impact for 2021?
3: Yeah, you know, when we talked Q4 last year, that was the big cloud on the horizon that was causing us concern and it, it really hasn't been the issue uh, that, that we were concerned about for 2020. Uh, in terms of Q4, We did have some pork and beef commodity challenges, but they were North American based. They were problems with labor in these big facilities and their inability to value add products to the specifications that we require. So that was creating some some inflation. So yeah, no, ASF was not much of a a factor. Uh, Maybe a little bit on on beef as a substitute protein protein, because China has been importing more beef Um, 2020, you know, ASF is still out there. It's still an unknown, but, you know, China has done an incredible job in growing their production levels, and and they're much more sophisticated in how they manage their hog production. So we don't expect it to be, but it's still a factor out there. Okay, that's very helpful. That's all for me. Thank you.
7: Thank you, John.
1: Thank you. And our next question comes from Stephen McLeod. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
8: Thank you. Good afternoon, guys.
2: Hey, Stephen. Hey, Steve.
8: Uh lots of great color on the on the call so far and uh, certainly in the in the slide deck, so thank you. Um but I just had a few few follow-up questions that I wanted to uh to ask about. Um, you know, you talked a lot about sort of your five strategic initiatives and gave some great color in the slides. Um, each sort of on its way or at a billion dollars plus. I know you gave a little bit of color on the seafood platform. Can you just give a little bit of color around where you are at in terms of sales for uh, some of the other platforms when you think about those five strategic initiatives?
2: Well, uh, again, we mentioned uh, five. um, Stephen, uh, our Canadian uh, protein platform is, is already there. Um, um, above above a billion dollars in in sales is all value added. By the way, um, then of course we have uh, sandwiches, and and we, we expect uh, our sandwich group. Uh, again, we call it a sandwich group, but it's really our assembly group. And as I shown on the uh, on the slide, we're making a lot of progress in assembling uh, other products other than just uh, sandwiches. So we expect that platform to reach that uh, level in in uh, uh, uh two thousand and twenty one um um and um, uh you know our our distribution business uh, you know in in canada that that, that exceeds a uh, uh, billion dollars now across the board it includes our seafood distribution companies and our other protein distribution companies um so 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 and that platform continues to to grow um, we spoke about, uh, you know, our U.S. protein uh, business, which is about halfway there, I would say. Um, um, it includes um, uh, three main businesses: uh, Alberto, Hamplers, uh, and, uh, and Acernios, uh all based in Washington State, but with a national uh, reach in terms of uh, marketing programs and, and brands. And again, we're getting uh, exceptional uh, traction there. And um again our, our, our seafood group uh, uh as I mentioned earlier in terms of uh if you if you take uh, our seafood group and you add our share of uh, uh the clear water revenues, we're, we're about one point two to a point four uh, billion in, in revenue.
8: Okay, that's uh, that's great, thank you. Um and, and I know I know you, you've stop short of giving 2021 guidance and and understand you've already given some color on the outlook, but can you just talk a little bit about how you expect kind of a cadence of growth in 2021, Um, you know, with Q1 being a a, a difficult comp and then Q2 being less so uh, being an easier comp and then how you think the back half of the year might evolve with food service and things like that opening back up.
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, our working assumption, Steve is, You know, Q1 sort of is a continuation of the Q4 trend. Um, You know, we do expect to continue to show year over year sales growth given a lot of the stuff happening, particularly in our specialty foods group. Um, And then certainly an acceleration of growth in Q2 just from the normalization from COVID. Uh, We do also expect the you know the a slow uh opening over the quarter 2 um as as vaccinations exp- are 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 executed on and um you see some reopening of the economy q3 we we continue to expect some covid impact again even lesser than from q2 and you know our expectation is by q4 we should be in a fairly normalized environment with the one major exception being airlines. Um, we we don't see a recovery from that until well into 2022, possibly 2023.
8: OK, OK, that that, that makes sense. Thanks. Well, uh, and then maybe just finally, um, with respect to a couple of modeling questions, uh, can you give a little bit of color around your expected tax rate for the year? And then with these most recent acquisitions that you did, uh starboard and distribution uh, code nord could you give a little bit of color around uh, i think you give revenues in the mdna but m- maybe a little bit of color around margins and i assume both of those businesses will sit in the distribution business is that, is that right
3: yeah so in terms of tax rates uh no no major changes at this point from what we've given in our prior guidance uh you know i, 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 I off the top of my head i think it was uh 27 to 29%, uh, something around that range. Um, so okay. we, sh- we should sh- continue to be within that range. You know, there's so many m- moving parts in that, Steve, and, um, you know, depending on where the income falls and which jurisdiction, because we have quite a wide range of tax rates, but 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 that should be a fair assumption going forward. In terms of the margins on the recent acquisitions, you know, both All-C's and Starboard are... are you know, typical um, seafood type margins in line, or maybe a little bit higher than our premium food distribution margins, and Cote d'Or is it, 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 exactly the same as well.
8: Same as PFD, or same as?
3: Yeah, PFD. Yeah, they're they're, they're all yeah. PFD acquisitions.
8: Right. Okay. So and, and, and they're all probably...
3: and, and they're all sort of a little bit above the average for the group. They're all kind of got niches in their business that uh, give them a a, a one step up.
8: Okay, so they're sort of, and they're a bit higher than the PFD business, is what you're saying.
3: Yeah, yeah,
8: yeah. Okay, okay, that's, um, well, that's great. Thanks so much. That's all for me. Thanks, Stephen.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Vishal Sridhar. Your line is open.
9: Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Hey, I'm um, so a little bit... Good afternoon. Um, just a little bit of a, a follow-up on some of that color you gave on how you think the year is going to unfold. So in Q4, you know, you you hypothesize that, that maybe that's going to look more normalized uh, next year. And, and so the way to think about it, we, we take like kind of your, your normal expectation for organic growth, and then we add the amount of like sales that you lost due to COVID uh, on top or, or are there capacity constraints or other reasons why you wouldn't gain back the sales lost in in this current Q4 that you printed plus the, the normal run rate of the economy or, or your business? No,
3: no, it, it should be the former, Michelle. Um, again, you know, when you go back to that chart that showed the the normalization of the growth rates, you know, the reality is that was all just, you know, that's lost food service business primarily. And so that, you know, we expect that to come back and then by Q4 to be above that as the traction of these different initiatives come into play.
9: Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and just switching gears here, there, there were media reports that there was an outbreak in some of your facilities, uh, I think particularly in Toronto, which led to temporary closures. Just wondering if, how material are the impact of these closures and are those all behind us at this current moment
3: so the the, the major one again it, it was a terrible situation I, you know it's been addressed you know we we've, we've we've thank goodness the, the facilities are back up and running and and uh the the outbreaks have been dealt with in terms of the impact though not much of an impact you know it, it impacted our belmont business which is a burger business and you know 80% of their sales are in the summer months so minimal impact on them because of the timing of the outbreak re- relative to the seasonality of the business and then the other one was on our concord business and although not as seasonal it was a sort of a similar factor as well as they were able to access sister company capacity so um, again, not a material factor.
9: Okay, and um, and uh, with respect to the Clearwater acquisition, just uh, on the deferred interest, uh, does that does that when you defer, does that is that not show up uh, as a benefit on the PNL, or do I record that in the PNL and just record? Uh,
3: oh, it, yeah, it, it will be in the PNL. So we will be creating, starting in the first quarter, a new segment. We'll be calling it investment income. And so that will include the interest and management fees from Clearwater, as well as we've always had some interest income from non-controlled income interests that have been netted in the corporate expense. So we'll move that into that. So, so that will be recognized and it will be segregated in that segment.
9: Okay. So, so it will be recognized even though it's deferred and then, then in the P&L and then in the cash flow statement, we'll get kind of double up in the following year if that's the way it works out.
10: Correct. Got
9: it. And maybe just lastly, if you can give us some thoughts on the acquisition market, you've obviously provided us some uh, color on that, but in terms of the quality of the deals that uh, you're being shown and if there's any changes that COVID has uh, precipitated on that front.
2: Yeah, Vishal. No, no changes really. Again, uh, the type of uh, acquisitions we look for are are generally in the pipeline for a long time. There's a lot of conversations that take place between us and and the owners. And um, you know, I would say that the activity is normal for us. Um, uh, We look at a lot of uh, opportunities. Uh, We probably get. um to look at a possibly a deal a week and um but we kind of tend to uh buying companies that we know that we've built a relationship with over the years and when the sellers decide to to sell uh, um, then then they come to us Um, you know we've shown you the schedule of course and it it shows that there's a lot going on and, and a lot in in our pipeline you know we've got a an extensive M&A group here at corporate, and, and they're extremely
9: busy right now. Thank you for that color.
1: Thank you. And our next question comes from Derek Lassard. Please go ahead; your line is open.
10: Yeah. Thanks. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen, and congratulations uh, on, on on a great quarter. Um, I guess I, most of my my questions have been answered. Um, I, the, the one I do have is is I was wondering if um you know, if there's any difference between uh profitability or the margin profile between uh food service and, and retail channels?
3: Well it, it depends, Derek. If if you look at you you have to look within the segment and the type of products they're selling. So if you're looking in our our premium food distribution segment and you're looking at our food service businesses that have Pivoted from their traditional fine dining customers to the retail segment, that's definitely lower margin business. Um, you know, as I think it was David asked earlier, hopefully we, we do hope to keep some of that business post the pandemic on the basis that it still provides critical mass to their distribution network. So it's profitable business, but it's definitely lower margin business um but if you compare that retail business or that their food service business with the retail business and our specialty food business then no you know that that that's a higher margin business by all means but then there all also are other costs associated with that businesses in terms of marketing and and uh those types of costs so so that net in
10: those businesses that, I guess, do that you do you end up a little bit more ahead than you, you, would in food service or QSR.
3: Well, 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 net net if you, you know, look at it on a global basis, you know, really our specialty food segment is primarily focused on retail and our premium foods distribution segment, you know, mainly focused on food service as a really rough gauge. And you can look compare the EBITDA margins in those two segments. Okay. Yeah, that's
10: that's helpful. And uh, maybe just one one last one. Um, obviously, 2020 was a pretty big year for you, or huge year in in terms of of M and A. Just like how are you? I I know you said the pipeline is busy, is is full, and everyone's working hard on on deals. But I was I was just wondering how you're thinking about it in terms of strategicness and like is 2020 more of an integration? 2021 more of an integration
2: year for you guys or
10: um, you know, is it full steam ahead?
2: Uh, again, Derek, it depends on the platform, uh, right? I, I think in, in the case of seafood, of course, we're very busy uh, with uh, with um, you know the the large deal we've done and a couple of other deals we've uh, announced recently. And uh, again, we look forward to extracting and optimizing the uh, vertically the vertically integrated platform that we've we've created. So probably you shouldn't be expecting massive transactions in the in the seafood space. Um, there'll be some tuck-ins, there'll be some add-ons, etc. But but in general terms, we're you know we're going to be working on optimizing the uh, vertical ver- vertically integrated entity that that we created. Uh, with regards to the other platforms, they all have their own plans. They all have their own expansion in initiatives organically and by acquisition so so you know don't be surprised if we make an acquisition in one of the other platforms that's uh, that's relatively on the bigger side okay and actually maybe one final one for me thanks for that george um in
10: terms of uh of, of capacity in in the sandwich business um are you guys bumping up against any uh, given given the growth are you bumping up against any capacity constraints
2: um, it, it depends on on uh, the items. Again, we refer to it as a sandwich uh, division or sandwich platform uh, Derek, for for legacy reasons. I would say on the sandwich side, um, you, you know, we're probably about three three years away from uh, from needing to add another facility to the to the group based on how we project our, our sales to grow. Again, you know, we 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 we. Build capacity, and, and uh, again, we're in good shape, and we're getting more uh, out of the, uh, the new lines, or more productivity out of the new automated lines that we're investing in, as you, as we told you guys uh, today. Um, with regards to some of the other uh, products that we make, um, you know, we we might have to add capacity in those in the in the future.
11: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Sabahat Khan. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
11: Great. Thanks and good afternoon. Um, Just a quick follow-up on the, uh, the question earlier around Clearwater and the rolling of the interest payment. I guess with this new segment where you will be reflecting the interest and the management fee, is there any addition to corporate overhead or anything, or is it just a uh, flow through on an annualized basis of 52 a year, and then obviously cash coming in the year after?
3: Yeah, no, it's the latter, Saba. It's just the interest in management fees.
11: Okay, great. And then um, just looking ahead, at, you know, there's a couple of questions on the sandwich you said earlier, but now as you think about demand ramping up, you know, I guess, what are you hearing from your both the retail, as well as the food service, like food service, I mean, the restaurant customers on that, you know, are you seeing sort of a sequential pickup in demand as they're planning for the next year? Um, And also, is there any difference between the restaurant channel versus your initiatives in retail for that platform in terms of the demand that you're seeing?
2: Can you please repeat the question? You broke up, and I I, I couldn't hear it, uh, Sabahad, sorry.
11: Sorry. Uh, no problem. So just on the sandwiches platform, just in terms of your conversations you're having with your retail and restaurant customers, um, is there any difference in the recovery you're seeing across the channels, and how are you generally um, seeing the demand uh, set up for 21 as a food service and just eating out uh, improves as a channel?
2: Yeah, in, in regards to sandwiches, um, the demand is very, very strong. Um, so, what we're being told from our customers in general is, is that, you know, we will need to allocate them more capacity for 2021 and a lot of it, Sabahat, is driven by the fact that a lot of QSR is doing really well in their drive-throughs and when a consumer uh, basically goes to a drive-through, he's more likely to purchase a handheld sandwich. And that's kind of benefited that, 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 the sales in that category to all of our QSR customers. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know when things are going to open up, but the consumer that goes through a drive-through tends to be more likely to buy a handheld sandwich, breakfast sandwich, let's say, uh, and coffee than, than uh, the consumer that walks in the store. So, so that, that, that's driving a lot of growth in, in, in that segment.
11: Okay. And I know you don't talk about specific customers, but if we just look at your restaurant customers or quick service customers for sandwiches you know, what would you say demand is directionally as we exit 2020 relative to, you know, a year ago, are we closer to normalization or are you expecting a big recovery through this year to get that back to run rate levels?
2: You know, again, it really depends on the customer. If Let's say we have a customer that has a lot of downtown stores. Uh, they're not doing that well, right? For the reasons that you you know, of course, right? If if we've got a customer that that has a lot of stores in suburbia and no stores downtown, you know, they're doing extremely well. It just depends on the geography and the location. It's a very different world today um, than than we know, and, and and a lot of it is driven by some of the the the, the trends and events that you already know um you know so generally you know if you if they've got uh, airport kiosks you know they're very slow for for reasons that we know if they've got downtown stores they're not doing well but but you know suburbia um and uh cottage country are doing amazing you know and uh it's it's just you know things that are logical
11: great okay. thanks for the call thanks Alan.
1: Thank you. And this concludes the Q&A portion. I'll now turn the call back to George Pagliologo for closing remarks.
2: I'd like to thank everybody for attending today. Back to you, Cheryl.
1: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes our call and you may now disconnect.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.